Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Today is episode number 32, and this is a, uh, a person that I've had, I don't know, one or two basketball conversations with over the years, uh, Coach Jamie Sale at Morningside College. Uh, but before we get to Coach Sale, uh, we want to recognize our sponsor for our podcast, Cossack Chiropractic. Somebody I need to see this morning, right, Coach Sale? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you wake up and you, you can barely move your neck. So I will actually probably be going to Cossack Chiropractic sometime this week. Uh, they are located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive, just off of 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see Cossack Chiropractic. You can check out their practic- practice at Cossack Chiro, that's K O S A K C H I R O dot com. Or give them a call at 402-964-0300 and be sure to tell them that a pen and a napkin sent you. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, We try to have uh, daily coaching tidbits on a pen and a napkin. Uh, My project has been to watch one Don Meyer video a day and put some notes up about that on a daily basis. Uh, So um, that that has been my quarantine project. Um, So... Uh, been putting that up. Obviously, if you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, like, like it, subscribe, rate, review, give us five stars. Let folks know what a pen and a napkin is all about. All we want to do, our mission, is to help coaches get better. And uh, if you would like to email us, uh, do so at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, ideas, suggestions, uh, questions, uh, stuff you'd like for us to talk about on the pod, uh, feel free to reach out to us in that vein. Coach Jamie Sale, highly successful head coach at Morningside College. Jamie, how are you this beautiful Sunday morning? I'm doing great. It's a been kind of a weird couple of weeks and and it's hard to get kind of a routine but it's it's something that we'll definitely be remembering for the rest of our lives and it's just just been an unreal last couple of weeks have you been able to go into the office or have you guys quarantined or what's what's your what's the college's policy right now yeah, we can go into our offices, but you know nobody can really be around. And I, I just when I go in there, I just kind of spin around and don't know what to even do. To be honest with you, so <laughs> it's been mostly at home. We we still recruit some, you know, on the phone, that sort of thing. But there's really not much else to do at this point. We at this point we're usually out, kind of evaluating and digging up some other recruits and working on the next year. But it's just everything's kind of on hold right now. Yeah, yeah. Um... It's uh, it, you know, but everybody's in the same boat, you know. Like uh, I'm, I'm sure your your teenagers and and your young adult. I guess Morgan's 21 or 22 now. Yeah, I have a 21 year old, and you know she's uh. going a little stir crazy, and and also I have a 15 year old and a nine year old, and the nine year old's fine as long as we have video games, and but the you know the other two are you know kind of missing out on the social side of it and that sort of thing, which is I'm sure hard on them, and it's it's hard for you know probably a lot of people under 25. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know the the young adults, they're yeah that you know Michael's you know 20 now and. Um, hard, hard to believe that Morgan and Michael were literally babies when we were coaching together, you know, and, and, and now they're like getting close to real adulting and stuff. So, um, so usually when I do this, Jamie, I 
I, uh, I, I kind of go straight into the background. Like I give you a chance to kind of explain where you came from and, and how you ended up at Morningside and that type of stuff. But I'm going to change it up here a little bit. I'm going to ask you three questions that I'm going to see if you're ready for them. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. All right. Number one, how was the first half of WrestleMania last night? Yeah, well, you know, it was pretty good. My son was very excited, and I try to pretend like I don't want like to watch it. Just pretend like I'm watching it because of him. You know, don't lie, <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> but it was it was bizarre, you know, watching it with no fans and stuff. But you know, my my son loved the Undertaker match, so so he was very excited about it, talking about it all morning. How old is the Undertaker now? Two hundred and six or four hundred and twelve? He's he's pretty old, but he still manages to win somehow. A fifty whatever year old guy beats up a twenty year old guy, but (laughs) it was something else to watch. That's for sure. Oh my goodness! All right, so well, that's good. And the second half of WrestleMania is tonight. It is tonight. I feel like I'm a walking commercial for WrestleMania, but we we will be watching again. Okay. All right. Well. So, uh, question number one. Question number two. Do you still set up multiple televisions on college football Saturdays? Actually, I don't. Just not because I don't want to, but now I have satellite TV. I used to have cable, so I knew how to hook it and you know get other TVs off it. But now I don't know how to do that. So, <laughs> so it's not really because I don't want to. It's just because technologically I'm not smart enough to figure it out. There, there's got to be there's got to be somebody at the college that can help you hook that up. I would think so, but you know, I I pretty much just. You know, watch the game that's on, and I change channels every ten seconds, and and get mad because Nebraska stinks. He has got a short attention span. <laughs> I do, I do. If, I'm not really big on huddles. It really <laughs> annoys me. So back when I had five TVs, I could watch the game and never have to watch a huddle. Well, but now hardly anybody huddles except for Iowa. So yeah, that's that's helpful. Yes. <laughs> That is true. I think probably people of the younger generation don't even know what I was doing right now when they get into the huddle. Oh, uh, yeah. What is that mass gathering? Don't they know? <laughs> There's not supposed to be 10 or more people in one area right now. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Number three. Um, any new players step into your program last few days? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we got Kenna Sims, which is I'm very excited about, obviously, and she's really going to help us. And and I've known her since she was a baby. I coached coached her mother, and her mother had Mindy Durant had her when she was still in college. So there was a couple times when Kenna was a baby in a stroller at our practices because because Mindy couldn't find a babysitter. So so she's been around our program since for a long time, and and. You know, I always wanted to have her in our program, but I didn't think it was ever possible because she went to Division One. But now adding her on, I'm, I'm really excited to coach her. Do you, uh, you know, and, and the situation at hand is what it is. Um, but I, I read a, a couple of articles that she talked about how when she came home, uh, she just wanted to stay home, you know, type of a thing. Um, right. You know, if if she finishes out the semester at Illinois State, do you think she still makes the same decision or is, you know, I mean, not to delve too much. I mean, I, if, right. if you don't feel comfortable talking about it, that's fine too, you know. No, she, I, I, I'm not sure. You know, I think that when she came home, she realized how much she missed it being at home and, and, you know, that's hard to tell. And, 
I, I know that her main decision was just being homesick. She she really liked it at Illinois State. She liked the coaches there and mm-hmm. and liked the, and loved the program. But it was just a matter of her. She's always, you know, since I've known her, she's a little more of a homebody a little bit. Kind of is, and I I think that. You know, maybe if she came home in the summer, she might have changed her mind too. But you know, yeah. when when I first heard from her, I was pretty surprised. Yeah. Well, and with her with her background, and you know, her and her mom have that tight relationship, and and with Mindy being, you know, like you said, she was still in college when she had her, and then she she had the the it was leukemia, right? When she was a when right. she was a toddler and and everything. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a natural progression to those things, and it's absolutely. Uh, understandable that she would feel that way and want to be close to home with with that relationship that that they have and everything so makes perfect sense you know yeah and i think that she is very comfortable with her decision now and and we're excited to have her and and her family will get to watch her play and and all her friends and i think she was a little worried at first what the reaction would be and i think it's been pretty positive you know in our community everybody's really excited to have her morning side good good all right well now that we've got the three most important questions out of the way, <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot more stupid stuff we could go into, but I'm sure that will come up as we go through this. Um, now, Jamie Sale, tell us yeah. your your story, uh, you know, ending up uh, in Sioux City, how you ended up at Morningside, you know, your background, so forth and so on. Right. I, you know, I never thought that I would be a women's basketball coach. I, I you know, went to went to college and thought I'd be a PE teacher and maybe, you know, maybe be an eighth grade coach for boys. You know, I didn't know exactly what I would do. And, and if I'm the first person that, that, you know, as I said, I can't remember what uh, movie it was, but, you know, when I'm supposed to be a doctor if I go to college for like nine years. So, <laughs> I, you know, I kind of, Here's some sort of degree. We're not sure. <laughs> but... but. I, I, you know, I went to college not really knowing what I wanted to do, and was in and out of college, and and did odd jobs, and and I ended up once I was in college, when I was in college, meeting Mike Power, who was you know one of my best friends, and and he started coaching women's basketball, and so I ended up getting caught up in that a little bit, and helped him at I don't know if I helped him, but I was involved with him at, at Nebraska Wesleyan, mm-hmm. and at that point he moved up to Briarcliff, and. And called and wanted to know if I wanted to come coach with them at Briarcliff. So, so I came up there, and that's when I kind of started getting involved in women's basketball. And at that point, I was his assistant for three years, and then he left to go to Division Two, and I ended up with the Briarcliff job, which I ended up doing for three years, coaching there for three years, and then Jerry Schmutty got a hold of me and talked to me about coming to Morningside. And at that point, I thought he was crazy because we were killing Morningside. We beat 50, Morningside by 56 points that year. I remember so, that game fondly, yeah, yes. Yeah. We had really hammered him, and, and their program kind of wasn't doing very well. And But he really convinced me that Morningside would be a, a place that we could win. And, and and it was really because of Jerry Schmutty that I ended up at Morningside. Well, you know that Jerry Schmutty, Jamie. You know, <laughs> that, that god darn Jerry Schmutty, I tell you, you know. Uh, it, was, it was weird, you know, because when you're at Briarcliff, you're kind of trained to not like it very much, you know, because he had a really good program over at Morningside, and there's a big rivalry, and and so initially when he called me, I was I was really surprised, and and just the more I talked to him, he, he's a pretty good salesman, and that's why he was able to have such good teams in the past. You know, he was a, a very good recruiter, and, and he did a good job of recruiting me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're 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 like Nostradamus here, um, you know. <laughs> Um, 
you you know, and, and, and I was there with you every step of the way uh, when when all of that happened. And, and, you know, it was it was I know how difficult it was on you um, right. to to do that um, and and just all the details that went into it. You know, um, you know how um, a, as much as you're comfortable with it, you know, just kind of talk about how. You know, you weren't just leaving for another job, but you were kind of Rick Patinoing going from from Kentucky to, to to Louisville. And and I actually went back and looked this up. You guys did that the same year. So what do you and Rick Patino have in common? Is that's that's the only thing that we have in common. <laughs> oh, you 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 dress about as well as he does. Yeah, that, that's not really a compliment. I don't think. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. It was different. You, I definitely found out, you know, who were really my friends and that sort of thing. But it was it was a big step to just move across town. You know, I didn't even like Morningside when I was at Prior Cliff. So, you know, yes. that was just a big deal. And, and to have to not just go to the other school, but go to your big rival. And also that next year having to coach against players that you recruited to the school and, and you you know, coach for the previous season, and now you're coaching against them. So it was yeah. it was kind of weird. It took me a while. You know, I, even probably the first couple of months at Morningside, I just I didn't even feel comfortable just because I was still a Briarcliff person. And and you know, but once I got there for a, for a while, I got a lot more comfortable and and just knew that this was going to be a great challenge to take a program that was not doing very well and try and build it up. You know, yeah, and you and. and you know what? What people don't probably remember is we were we lost by one point in that semifinal. I think it was right. to uh, it was Albertson out of yeah, Idaho. We lost yep, we lost on a, on a three point shot late in the game by a kid that made her first three point shot of her career. So yeah, you know we had we had a very good chance of playing in the national championship game, and and when I left that team, we had only lost a couple people off it, and they were going to be really good again the next year. So it's it's hard to leave you know really good players that you build a relationship with, and that was a it was a hard thing to do, you know. And I you know coaches that leave all the time, but and they all know that when you leave a program, probably the hardest thing to leave is the players that you coached. Yeah, absolutely. So you take over this mammoth, and when it, and when we say mammoth, I mean it was a mammoth rebuilding job. Uh, I, I think they had won five games in the two years before combined, or something crazy like that. Um, I'm not good at math, but I didn't have to count up too many wins um, there. <laughs> and and so you know it's it's obvious, and, and colleges is. You know, it's it's simple. You, you I don't want to say it's simple, but you, you, your number one job is to get really good players. You know, and that helps yeah. with rebuilding. You know, yeah. but but so I want to get that out of the way. Uh, other than getting better players, what was the one, two, three things that you wanted to emphasize when you were thinking about? rebuilding the program you came in and uh you do you know after after you're there a month or two let's say what were the what were the here's the one two three things that we have to address this immediately other than of course recruiting better better players right you know and that's obviously the main thing but i I think that just we really wanted to 
get our team to have a better work ethic. You could just tell that they they had really not worked at it as hard as they needed to and, and start to believe in themselves. And I think in order for you to believe in yourself, you have to work at it and, and see some success in the offseason. And, and, you know, kind of a funny thing is when I first came there, they had this really nice locker room with a big screen TV and couches and and all you know all the things that we never had at, at Briarcliff and <laughs> and I, I, I immediately I immediately took the TV and took the couches out of the locker room, which did not make them happy. But uh, you know, I told them that I'd watched them play the last couple of years, and, I, and it appeared as if they'd been spending too much time on the couch watching TV, and that they had to get out in the gym. You know, so we just wanted to establish that you know sitting around sitting in the locker room and is you know and just visiting with you about with, with each other is a is a fun thing to do but it's it's also not helping us get better so just developing the work ethic and the love for basketball and finding the players that love doing that and and i gotta say that first year at morningside the the players we had you know probably for the level they were playing at weren't the most talented kids but they really bought in and really worked hard and and that first year I coached there they were really a fun group to coach they really let us do the things we wanted to do even though you know they they would had a couple different coaches at that point and and really allowed us to to push them in a way that maybe they hadn't been before and and you know that year we won seven games and the, the school was happy which was kind of astonishing <laughs> to me that you know only seven wins would make people happy but they, I think they could see that our, our team had kind of changed attitude and really worked hard and 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 our chemistry was with that group our chemistry was already pretty good so we didn't have to worry so much about chemistry it was just more about work ethic and and gaining confidence and starting to believe in yourself and you know I told in a press conference when I took the morning side job I said that our goal is to win a national title in four years. And Schmuddy was standing off the side laughing at me like, you know, this guy's really cocky and that sort of thing. But really what I was just trying to do is is put it into the minds of our players that, that we had a goal and that we were going to get there and, and to try to give them confidence and believe in it. I, I was just, uh, w- yeah, one of the questions I was going to ask was, you know, when you when you came in, um, how difficult was it to, to get those players to, to buy in? You know, was there was there pushback, or, or you know, were they were they ready to to drink the Kool Aid? And right. you know, it, it sounds like they were ready to to drink the Kool Aid. Yeah, they were. They they were a really good group of players, and 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 in the the following year, my second year, we only had one player left over because you know we had a lot of seniors in that group, and you know sometimes you'd think the seniors would be hard to kind of get on your side but they, they were they were really a, a a good group of players that that really liked each other and and it's kind of struggled through some a few bad years but we're we're still willing to be coached and and i give them a lot of credit that they, they were good character kids and and really that first year we you know as far as just chemistry and and players getting players getting along with the coaches and all that sort of thing it was a really good year it sounds like they were pretty desperate for some for some leadership, for some direction, you know, that type of thing, you know. Yeah, you know, and the, the coach before me, he, when I first, it's just kind of different coaching styles, and, and probably mine's worse. But when when I got there, the previous coach had files upon files of you know organizational things, and you know you could tell he was 
super organized and I've always joked our players like it's going to take me you know one year to get this program disorganized enough here (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's just they they were I think they were just you know looking for someone that kind of had an idea where he wanted to go with where I wanted to go with the program and that we had a plan and and move forward with it and they they did a great job you know we had we were playing that first year in the North Central Conference, and our post player was five feet nine, five foot nine, you know. And we, we were playing with six or seven kids against North Dakota and North Dakota State, so we were outmatched a lot. But we really battled well against those teams, and and like I said, we won seven games, which for us in the situation we we're in, it was the best that team could do. So so I was really proud of them that you know they just played up to their abilities. And, and isn't that all you ask for from any team is to just. <laughs> Fight your fight your butt off and 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 whatever you, you know you're saying that's a seven win team um, and and those kids maxed out and and you felt like you know and it's not always about numbers but you kind of look at your team and you go well this should be a fifteen win team or in your case I mean you guys you guys play a lot more games this should be a twenty three win team or twenty seven win team or you know whatever but sometimes if if you have a team that's supposed to win five games or four games and you win seven games, you know, that's just as that's, that's all you can ask for from the kids that you have. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and I don't think I, I probably did a little bit, but I don't think I really got very upset with that team at all, all year, just because I knew they were doing the best they could. And the times they were just overmatched. And, and we had a couple, unfortunately, we started that year out of, believe it or not, we were five and two. And then after that, we got had a couple injuries, and we just we had no depth. So once that happened, we were just kind of in trouble, and we'd always hang in games for the first 20, 25 minutes, and then we would just run out of gas because we had no depth. And but you could just see them fight the whole way, and and it was it was it was I hate losing, but it was fun watching them just you know fight as hard as they could every game and and do whatever they could to hang in there and and trust me there's been other teams that won a lot more games i've been a lot more frustrated with than that team you know they, they were really a, a good group of kids that wanted to play hard and and it was it was weird to kind of go through the north central conference with a team that wasn't even as good as the team you coached the year previous which was an nai school so yeah. so it was, it was kind of an eye-opener and that when you said about recruiting and getting players that's when you realize the players really do matter oh yes very much so um so what was, if you could narrow it down, uh, as you're rebuilding this program, can you can you think of, okay, here's the point where we turn the corner, you know, uh, what was, you know, what do you feel like was the tipping point where it was like, okay, now, now we've really got this, I really feel like this is going in the direction that, you know, I intend for it to go. Right, right. It probably took into about the third year I was there. You know, we had our first recruiting class the second year, and then those players kind of needed a year to develop. and And we brought in a, a class my third year that we brought in nineteen kids and those recruits, and and so it was a whole. Do you, do you have to give them like football numbers? You know? well, yeah, because you know, and at that point, you know, the the first year we won the national title, I believe we had two juniors and. I think one senior, two juniors, and the rest were freshmen. So, you know, we were, we were really young, and we had to bring in a whole different group of people. And but as with your question.
question. We that third year when we we were still pretty young and and we had some good games, but we went and played at Hastings, and Hastings at the time was national championship good. Tony Hobson was our coach, and they were so good. Uh-huh. I believe they were the defending national champions, and I was trying to convince our team that we were on that level, but I wasn't quite sure. And and we went on the road and played them, and we lost in a four overtime game. But it was just at that point I knew that they had kind of gotten it and that they started to believe in themselves. And and after that game, even though it was a loss, we just you could just see the confidence build that they could do this. And you know we ended up winning the national title that year. But and going into the year, I would never expected that. The previous year we were seventeen and sixteen, and but I knew we were talented, but I didn't expect the huge jump. And I think just a lot of that just came from understanding the system a little bit more, but also just believing in themselves and, and having some success. And then once they, once they knew that they could play with a team like that, their confidence just grew and, and it was a pretty special group to coach. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. You can narrow it down to, you know, I can go right back to that one game and say, right. you know, even though it was, like you said, even though it was a loss. And I think that's a good lesson for, for coaches as they, you know, whatever level they're at in the, in their program in the sense of, you know, if you're, you know, the, the, the people that are listening are, are, am I doing great? Are we rebuilding? Do I not see any light at the end of the tunnel? You know, you've kind of experienced all of those levels there and you can still get better and, and think back to losses fondly as a turning point. And I think that's important for, for folks to remember, you know? Yeah. You know, the losses always stink, but, and I take them probably, as bad as anybody, but at some point you, you have to learn from them and you probably learn more from the games that you lose. Sometimes when we win a bunch of games in a row, you know, I'll look back and think we, we weren't improving much just because we, we were pretty content and thought that we were going in the direction we needed to and, and maybe weren't looking at ourselves with a critical enough eye to, you know, to continue to get better. And, and so sometimes you need that game you know, you don't play great and the other team does that kind of wakes you back up and you start looking at the things you're not doing very well. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, obviously for you to do this as long as you have and to, to rack up, um, the numbers that you have, which have, I mean, been absolutely amazing, you know, four national championships and, and, and hundreds of six, over 600 now, I think wins, um, some crazy number like that. Um, you know, you probably have an accounting degree somewhere in there in those 240 credit hours. You could, you could add up the numbers if you really wanted to. Yeah, I know very little about a lot of things. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably an anthropology degree in there somewhere, you know, with a, with a, with a Hebrew minor or something like that. So yeah, if I, if I would have learned everything from every class I took, I'd be a genius, but unfortunately I don't think I'd well, that's why they had you kept coming back, you know. So, right. Right. <laughs> hey, Jamie Sales giving us another check. What the hell? Hey, let's cash it. I could go, I could go back and teach ten minutes of every class <laughs> at the University of Nebraska. Just the first ten minutes, though. <laughs> well, even at Osborne, after twenty-five years of coaching there, he turned you. Oh, there's Jamie Sales still in the student section. All right, yeah, hey, here we go. I, 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 I was a student for about a third of Coach Osborne's career, I think. <laughs> you were Johnny Rogers' roommate. Don't lie. <laughs> um, but uh, no, in all seriousness, um, you know, how have you kept the edge? 
you know, I mean, in, in a lot of ways you could, uh, you could kind of live off the laurels, but, you know, even, you know, like even with, uh, McKenna Sims and, and recruiting her and, 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 and bringing in, uh, you know, the teams that you have, um, what's, what's kind of driven you to, to, to stay at that point? You know, I, I think part of it is just, I really like being around the players and, when you get new players and see their enthusiasm, that it, it keeps your enthusiasm going. And, you know, part of it is, you know, and I don't know if this is the right reason, I just hate to lose, you know, and, and I know if I don't put in the work and, and do the things I need to do that during the season, we'll, we'll lose a lot more and I won't take it very well. So, you know, part of that's probably selfishly motivated motivated that you know and not even in the right way i just i hate losing and so we tried to do everything we can to 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 move forward and improve and and you know i've been very fortunate to have players that have been pretty motivated and they've seen what we expect in our program and and just to see them you know even on it's probably a little harder as i get older just day to day to to get myself in the mode i need to probably but once i get in, in the in the gym and get around the players and see their enthusiasm. It, it really boosts you back up and you realize it's a lot better than having an actual job. You know, the, we're really fortunate to get to be around these players and, and, and just being around the, the younger people that, that kind of keep your energy up and make you feel a little bit younger. So, so what are you, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about the stuff that you need to do in the off season to, to ensure that you're right. not losing, you know, what, what are those things? I mean, other than, again, you know, w- when I talk to college coaches on here, I, I know a big part of it is recruiting and getting good players, but right. you know, uh, what are you working on? What are, what are things that you're looking at to, to make you better? Um, you know, I, I'm kind of a junkie as far as just, you know, watching videos and that sort of thing. And, but I also like to go back every year and, and I haven't done it yet, but I'll go through every possession we have on offense and defense and mark, you know, write down how we scored, you know, did we get it off our fast break? Did we get it off, you know, our half court offense where those off screens? And I really get it down to the nitty gritty and, and see what we're doing well and what we're not doing well. And then try to, to, to adjust the next season to what, what we're doing well and what we're not and eliminate some of the things that, you know, didn't work and add some things that I think maybe will work and just, you know, always just thinking ahead and, and knowing what you you have to do next. And a lot of that is just going back to me, at least going back and being critical about what happened the previous year and watch a lot of film and, and really work at it. And, you know, the, the charting thing takes quite a bit of time, but you learn a lot that you, you didn't know before. When do you usually start that? You know, I mean, this um, year's obviously different, but when do you usually right. start that? I'll probably start that probably in the next week or two, you know, and, and that way when we get our kids to do their summer workouts, uh, you can kind of be more specific with them, what they need to work on and, and where we need to move forward to. And, you know, we'll give our players a, a summer workout program for them to do, which is lifting and running and, and basketball workouts. And, and we really demand a lot of them from in that regard. And, you know, we're fortunate at our level. We have a strength and conditioning coach so we can give, give them to him. And, and you know, that he does a great job of, of making them improve. And I think a lot of our, our success has been just the, the work ethic we've had from our players in the summer and what we demand from them. You know, we did a lot of, a lot of teams just go home and, you know, don't do much in the summer and they maybe give them a workout plan, but don't follow up on it. And, 
make sure they do it. But we really stay on them, make sure they do it, and and you can really see the improvement after a, a long summer of working on what we want them to. When you watch those games, do you go start you know November tenth and move forward, or do you work backwards, or is it just like ah, I'm going to watch the Concordia game? Or? Well, you know, with technology, it makes it a lot easier because I can. Yeah get on our program and and i just start from the first game and i can hit offensive possessions and just hit it for our team and i'll just go through every possession all year and mark down you know if we scored how we scored if we didn't what we were doing we didn't score and you'll kind of start seeing a pattern of what's successful and what isn't you know Mm -hmm. and and then you can kind of adjust things from there and then i do the same thing on our defense i'll start from so i'll basically get to through every possession that we've done all year and just chart what we did and what we didn't do well. And sometimes you'll see a pattern. Sometimes you really won't, but you know, usually you'll start to see, Hey, you know, we really stink at guarding the pink and the pick and roll or, or we're, you know, in our motion, we're not getting much from our away screens and a lot more from our ball screen. So maybe then we'll incorporate a little more, bit more ball screening and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you are the first, college coach that I've talked to since all of this hit um and you were in the unique situation I can't remember did you guys get your first round game in yep we lost in the first round and then the next morning the tournament was canceled oh okay all right uh I thought you won your first round game or that if you played we were we were ahead most of the game and kind of blew it at the end and it was it was so weird because you know we almost never lose in the first round and we lost in the first round and you know, obviously we're sad and dejected, and then the next day you wake up to see the tournament wasn't even going to happen, win or lose, and you just almost don't even know what to think at that point. You know, you don't, am I supposed to be upset? Did, did that game even really count? You know, what, <laughs> does it even matter? I mean, take it off uh, your take it off your resume. One less right, loss. <laughs> right. You know, and I felt terrible for the for the players of the other teams that didn't even get a chance to play, and and. You know, it's, it's, I don't even know. I didn't have to get put in the situation. I'd have to explain that to our team, you know, that, that we weren't able to play. And, and, you know, we had a couple teams, Concordia and Hastings had great years in our conference this year and mm-hmm. probably had legitimate chances to, to win national titles. And that had been hard to, to face your team and tell them, you know, I know you could have won it, but we're not going to get a chance to. And, and so, you know that happened to a lot of people even some high schools you know nebraska i know got theirs in but a lot of high schools and and you know it makes it really hard it's it's just a unique situation and i hope we don't have to go through it again yeah did you did you uh like have you talked to drew and how did he you know as an example you know right uh you know how did you know i haven't talked to drew yet but you know i Kind of since this has all happened, I've kind of been away. I haven't really talked to hardly anybody in our conference, you know. But you know, I've seen some things online and what coaches have said to their players and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And and you know, it's probably it's obviously the hardest on the teams that yeah, it's hard on them all. But the yeah. teams that really thought they could win it, and you know, I'm sure that you know, I saw uh, Grace Berry, their point guard, made a comment about how. You know, she really wanted to win, and, and but if it saved one life for her not to play, it was worth it. Which sure. you know, is a very mature way to think for a kid that age. You know, and but you know, it's just it's been a really weird. It's it, even to, knowing what to do to move forward. You know, with your team, and you don't know if at any point we're ever going to be able to get together. We're we're doing our 
postseason team meeting on the, via the phone, you know, which is so yeah. weird. So, so it's just it's a whole big adjustment. That I don't think anybody knows really what to do. Yeah, you know, but but everybody's in the same boat as well. So, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and again, the, the basketball stuff is is very minor to you know thirty or forty thousand people in New York City that are you know right. you know going through what they're going through and the other hot spots and things like that, but. You know, everybody's going to kind of have to figure it out. And, and, you know, when it comes to like what you were talking about, how do you handle an off season where you haven't seen your kids for two months? Well, you're going to beg, borrow and steal from what other folks are doing, you know, as well, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think it just, just like with every other segment of society, the, the one blessing, this, you know, one of the silver linings in this is just the way that people have come together and have, and have, you know, reprioritized things and, and, you know, this is how we're going to work our way through it. And, you know, right. it, it's not going to be a forever thing, but, right. you know, um, it, it, it's a right now thing. And the right now right. kind of sucks, you know. Yeah. And, if, you know, if, it'll be really hard if, you know, to, to keep the social distancing up and we have to play defense and I have to be six feet away from them. So <laughs> that would be, be a little difficult. But, well, you know. that, 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 that was that was uh, six feet closer than you were ever to anybody guarding them. Right. So. <laughs> My my nephew is a is a senior, and you know his his baseball season is gone. And he's a nice baseball player. You know he's he's going to St. Ambrose to play. Right. Uh, and uh, what's that? Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's hard. You don't get to play your senior year. Yeah, you know, but. yeah, it's a, but it is what it is. So, um, all right. Well, hey, we're going to transition a little bit here, Saley. Uh, we're going to jump into yeah. the, to the Don Meyer quote of the day. Um, okay. So uh, the Don Meyer quote of the day, and and if you want to comment after this, feel free. Um, But it is, shared suffering makes a team a team. Oh, I agree with that completely. That's a great comment. You know, just it it is what makes you a team because you go through all these things during a year that, you know, other people don't get to go through as a team. And, and it is, it's shared suffering. You, you make, I think you make teams stronger at times, you know, as a coach, when you, when you make them run together and our preseason conditioning, we about half kill them. And it, a lot of that is just what we talk about. They, they grow closer together because they know if, if we have to go through this, we'll go through it together and it'll make us stronger. And, and that's a lot with what we do during, especially during the, season is get, get with a little bit of shared suffering yeah and and you know you got to figure out who you can trust and and a lot of people think you know like when we when we would make the kids run up the hill at the cliff or you know whatever your equivalent of what you're doing with that at Morningside is you know yeah it has nothing to do with basketball but it has everything to do with basketball and 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 who can you trust when the game's tied when there's a minute left on the clock to get a to get a right. stop or get a score you know and right and that's part of it you know yeah and, uh, a lot of times you find your great players with finding out which ones when they get a little bit tired they, they don't care and they just fight through it and they're able to mentally get through things and you know the, the better players i ever had were 
you just they didn't seem to ever get tired and you know physically they were but they never showed it and they just always knew how to fight through it and and i always marveled at those kids you know they're just as tired as everybody else but you never know it and they just they would just keep going and keep playing and and you find that out a lot in your preseason and you, you can almost predict before you even coach them when you see in preseason these kids are going to probably make it because they can just fight through things do you now have it at the point where you don't even have to say a whole lot about those type of things that that your you know your your leaders your your sophomores juniors and seniors are, are basically telling your freshmen you know that's just not going to fly here you got to suck it up you're going to finish this wind sprint we're going to do this we're going to do this together type of a thing yeah, they, they really do a good job of that, and and we, we kind of have a policy that we don't finish until everybody finishes, so that peer pressure kind of, you know, builds on the team, and, and they do a good job, and, and they don't make it negative, they, they really push them in a positive way to, to keep moving forward, and we do some things that are pretty hard to finish, you know, so that we get to a point that I don't really have to, you're right. I don't have to say much. I just say, this is the task we're going to do and, and encourage your teammates. And they always get through it. And, and you can really see a lot of team bonding, you know, just with that quote, the team bonding come about when they push each other and they kind of went through something hard. And, and the more difficult you make it, you can just tell that, you know, that they didn't enjoy it, but they also know that they accomplished something and, and they feel better about themselves. And it, and it starts to build confidence. Yeah, very good. Well, through that toughness comes, you know, uh, probably, you know, two things that your program's most known for. And and the toughest part, toughness part really comes out with your with your defense and your and your pressure defense. Um, you know, where did that philosophy come from? Uh, you know, as much as you're willing to share, what do you do? And, you know, how do you implement it? If you could if you could give us some 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 breakdown stuff that you do uh, to to implement your your pressure defensive scheme. Um, you know, and what I one of the things I really like about what you do is is um, you're able to pressure the ball for most of the court, but very rarely do you give up a lot of easy baskets or easy looks at on the backside of it. Um, you know, so so I'm just going to kind of let you go here and 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 uh, if I. If I have a question to ask while you're going, I'll try to butt in and ask a question. But talk about your pressure defense and your philosophy and your system and that type of thing. Okay, well, you know, first when I coached, you know, with you and with Coach Power, you know, we did a lot of pressure defense. And so that's what kind of got me interested in it. And, you know, when, when I was first at Briar Clip, it was more man-based where we'd run and jump off it and that sort of thing. But when I came to Morningside, we – we were really a small team. You know, we are when our first national championship team with our biggest kid was five eleven. So we kind of had to adjust to, to what we had and we were very small. So I went from more man oriented to becoming more zone oriented just because of what we had basically. And once, once we implemented it, we liked it so much. We just kind of went forward with it. So, um, what we really do is we try to give as much pressure as we can in the full court and make them in a lot of ways it's more just wasting time which we have an advantage that obviously some of the high school people don't have and that's we have a shot clock so if you can make someone you know spend 13 seconds to get into their offense and then they only have 17 seconds to do their half court so that you know that probably with the high school coaches doesn't help much because you know once they cross half court they can be as, as 
slow with the ball as they want to. But with us, it's really about pressuring the ball, getting them into spots that we want them to. And then, you know, our full court pressure, the reason we don't give up much as far as layup is, to be honest, you know, we'll trap some, but we don't go too heavy into trapping as much as we do just making them handle the ball and make decisions coming up the floor. And, and instead of trapping, we'll jump a lot and, and bump off and, and just make them handle the ball and make decisions. Where we really like to force turnovers is in our half court, which with us, man or zone just comes from forcing people where we want them to go, especially when we get on the side, making them go to the baseline. And kind of our whole premise is really to help early, which is, you know, a lot of people will say, wait to help and, and stay with your people. We really depend a lot more on helping early, getting the ball stopped, putting pressure, and then we will trap in those regards, and then just working on rotation. You know, you have to kind of decide as a coach, are you going to be a help and recover team or more of a rotation team? And and ours is a, a lot more of a rotation type situation. So, you know, we'll, we'll get some mismatches in that, but I really believe that for me, help and recover is really hard to do take your momentum going one direction and recover back the other direction so we just continue going the direction we were going in and just rotate and and that's really you know worked well for us it really takes people i think out of what they want to do offensively you know not too many people prepare for a team that kind of goes into a matchup zone forces your baseline and then work works off rotations they're more used to just straight up help and recover that sort of thing. So, um, so somebody goes baseline on you, right? And you, you know the the help comes, but the help what the, the way I'm hearing this is the help stays, and you're almost like, okay, we're going to go trap you here, and then we're going to let our other kids read and rotate, and maybe try to get a a pick off of a rotation out of that. Is, is right, yeah. And we'll, we'll send a baseline and then just dependent on, you know, how the, what offense the team is running, we'll send the closest person to on the baseline side to get the ball stopped. And basically those two will stay in trap and then we'll rotate with the other three and we'll decide kind of who we, where we want to leave the ball open and, you know, as far as where they want to rotate the ball. And then the person that was guarding the ball who was actually involved in the trap will release back to the direction they came from. So it's, it's kind of a, weird rotation but it it really takes teams that you know i think a lot of people like will tell their teams you know wait before you help make sure you can see whether she can guard her or not you know we we try to teach them is is if you're on the baseline side the second you see that she's in any trouble at all then we come with that help and and really rotate because we don't want our team deciding should i help or should i not help we just go Mm -hmm. and and it's it's a unique way of doing things, and and you really, it, the helper is probably even as important as the the person that's helping the helper. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be in the position and get to the next spot, and that's the one thing that's really hard to get. You know, our freshmen to learn is it's just not I'm guarding this person, I'm never leaving. Well, you're leaving all the time. You know, you you have to know where the ball's going to be going and where you want to rotate to, which sometimes takes our you know our freshmen a long time to learn. I've had freshmen in our program say that you know they didn't know what the heck they were doing their whole freshman year, and then once they got it, you know, the, then they the light just kind of went on. But just because it's it's not as complicated as you think, but it's really difficult to go against because not many people do it. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, your um, it is counterintuitive to the way ninety five percent of of coaches, maybe not even maybe more than ninety five percent, the way they teach their rotations in in a shell drill type of situation. You know, Correct. which is uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and you know we will still you know get to our man and, and play a little more, I guess, in the normal way at times. But uh, we we just always felt that. You know, especially when I first came to Morningside, if we were going to have the big post players and the best players, that we had to find something unique to do to to make the make it challenging to prepare for us. And you know, I, I think when we come into a game now, people have to for the two days or three days of practice they have before us have to change into something else. They've completely other than what they've been doing all year, you know, and it, it's really hard. I know Concordia plays a very unique style, and it makes you almost crazy to play a certain way all year, and then for two days you have to somehow simulate what they've been doing all year, and that's kind of what we went with is, you know, make the team prepare for us in two days and make them do something they haven't done all year, and it really makes them uncomfortable. Was was And, and that was kind of a decision you made early. Yeah, it was really out of necessity, you know, just because we weren't big and we knew we had to cover each other, and and so we kind of went forward with it. And I, you know, I I researched a couple of coaches, but not anybody did exactly what we did. But we just once we started doing it, it was working, and then we just kind of built on it and just decided, hey, this is how we're going to play from now on, and, and just worried about our rotations and pressuring the ball and and. Frankly, in the last couple of years, we haven't done it quite as well, and a little bit that, of that has to do with our guards are a little bit smaller. So, our help—you know—when we come with help, it's with a little bit smaller bodies, which is a little easier to throw over and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but it really—we really just developed it off having success with it early, and just kept building and trying to add on to it. And sometimes when I add on to it, it makes it worse. You know, sometimes yeah. you get too many ideas, and you just need to kind of stick with what's got us there in the first place. Who were the uh, who were the couple of coaches that you looked at that kind of helped you come up with this hybrid defense? Uh, I would say the first one would probably be Mike Dunlap. You know, he, uh-huh. he was kind of the big zone guy, you know, and that has a lot of good videos and concepts, and you read stuff on him, and, and that gave us some good ideas. And then, you know, I'd just get – I probably have like 10 videos of different coaches that, that are good at zone, you know, and I try to take good things off that and, and not use the things that I don't think fit us. And, and it seems like every time you kind of study a, a coach, you'll find at least one or two things that you might want to try and add on. But it was, it was probably initially started with Mike Dunlap and what he did and, and with his one, one, three. And, and then we just kind of built off it and, and, kind of adjusted it to the players that we like but I would suggest if anybody likes doing pressure zone that sort of thing I would I would probably start with him and his videos and his information do you call it the Harry's Wonder Bar zone <laughs> we, we should but we don't but, but we should ironically is we probably spend probably too much time on our defense you know we probably need to work on our offense more in practice but ironically I was like the worst defensive player on the face of the earth and then I you know make my players play really hard on defense and make a big emphasis of it but you know it's it's something that we really depend on and in our great years we've been very good at playing defense we haven't had to adjust our defense much because we were just so good at it the teams couldn't adjust to us well 
you're talking about struggling on offense, but but one of the things that you do do well offensively is your teams have traditionally shot the three point shot really really well. Um, and, and again, you know, be, beyond recruiting shooters, uh, but but I but you know, you know, I was around you for how much? I mean, you and I were working with players in the summer and and, and during the season and, and that type of thing, and I saw you work with shooters. Um, and you do a terrific job. Of, I mean, just maybe the best I've ever seen. Um, you know, what, what are the keys to developing shooters, other, you know, other than, like I said, recruiting shooters or just a, a, a kid's got, how, how do you take a, an average shooter and make them, uh, a decent shooter and a decent shooter, a good shooter and a good shooter, a great shooter, you know, that type of thing. Right. You know, I used to, when I was younger, I'd really mess with their shot a lot and you know adjust things in a big way and as i've gotten older i've realized sometimes that doesn't work especially at our age you know once they get into college that they, they kind of have their style but uh, a lot of it has to do with just fixing you know if you can find one or two things you know if they're not falling through or they're you know just a couple things that will help them a little bit it goes a long ways and i also think that when we get kids out of high school probably the thing they are the poorest at is their footwork isn't very good and their balance isn't very good you know they don't know how to set themselves as they're on the move and that sort of thing so we really work on balance and footwork and then just work with their shot and try to figure out how to to incorporate that with them and you know by if you're working with a younger kid the the fundamentals and that stuff is is probably the most important thing but at some point once they've kind of figured out how they shoot the ball then you just have to make minor adjustments and then i really think just the balance and footwork is a big deal is that your number one starting spot there is is the balance and footwork then yeah we really look at their feet early and and nothing else works if they're not going to be on balance and can't you know shoot on the move and that sort of thing and then we'll adjust if we need to we'll adjust their hands and a little bit if they need to but at that point as long as they have a good follow through and going to the basket and we get them on balance and then it's just you know if you're a kid just repetition just shoot as much as you can the the you know the guns that they have now that you can get on shooting machines and that sort of thing i wish i had it when i was a kid because you can get so many shots up and and when you can get reps like that it just makes a huge difference yeah how many uh, shooting guns do you guys have there we, we have we have two you uh-huh. know which which I, i'd love to have a lot more because you know we have jvm varsity with our men's and women's program so there's a big demand during the year of getting on those and yeah. and you know sometimes we'll have to have five six kids on at a time so you have to be a little bit creative and that sort of thing but you know i, I would say even high schools in a lot of times have more access to it than we do even you yeah. know as far as that and i would encourage high school coaches if you have one use it a lot because there's nothing like repetition to get your shooters better what uh, do you guys use the the gun in practice at all um no we don't just because it's we, we only have six baskets in our gym and it's not we don't have a real big area so it's kind of cumbersome so we we uh during the year we'll bring them in you know, and do individual workouts during the afternoon a couple times a week where we just get them on the gun. So they're still getting reps during the season on it, but just not during our normal practice time. What are some creative or what are some drills that you guys do uh, with the with the gun or the uh, there's a there's another model of I forget what it's called, the yeah. Doctor Dish or whatever it's called. You know, right, so. right. Um, you know, we do a a lot of drills where the the ball goes, the first pass goes 
to the kid, and instead of them shooting on the first pass from the gun, then we'll, we'll pass off that to another shooter who's coming, you know, off the chair and off screens and that sort of thing. And we'll maybe have the first the first kid that catches it throw it to a player coming off, you know, like a curl screen, and they'll shoot. And then the second pass will come to that passer, and then she'll just shoot a three. So mm-hmm. we'll get, be able to get both of them shooting, but also getting another thing off it, you know. So we always try to have the the initial person that caught the pass from the gun who's throwing it to the other person, they'll shoot a three, so we get the three-point shooting in, but then they'll pass to the other person. I don't know if this is making any sense. And no, it makes perfect sense. Like, we can do so many things off that. We can have them come off curls. We can have them do fades. We can have them catch and rip the ball through and go off the dribble. So, you know, we can get incorporate not just standstill shooting, but can also get other things going with off the dribble and just various Thing. You know, we, we we're able to get four or five hundred shots up pretty quick, and because that first person's passing the ball, you can kind of crank up the machine a little bit more and and, and get and get more reps. It sounds like that. You know, stuff like that. It, about a perfect number for that would be about four kids, and you get yeah. you get you get the two working together, and then they switch lines while the other two are running their thing, and and you get into a good rhythm, and you can get a lot of reps in in a short amount of time. Is that kind of your your ideal number around there? Oh, yeah. Four or five? Yeah, if we, yeah, if we get four or five, would be great. You know, sometimes we get you know, stuck with six or seven, and that's not ideal, but it's, you know, it's just how it is. And But, you, you know, even then, even if you have six kids on one machine, they still are going to get more reps than, than just shooting and following their ball and getting a rebound and kicking it out. It's still, you know, and you're, you're able to organize things so much better that way, and and, you know, if, if you're in a high school and you don't have something like that and you can afford it, you definitely need to get one because it really does change the program. Yeah, yeah, they, it is a nice tool. I think one of the things that I, I – we had one, and, and we didn't really use it that much because I just – I don't know, uh, space and time and, and, right. and that type of thing. And, you know, you're, you're sharing with the boys' team. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're sharing with baseball cheerleading, uh, right. you know, whatever else, you know, um, right. and, and that was one of the things that, you know, we, that I, I know I underutilized and, and if I get back into it, that would be one thing I would very much implement is, is, is using that and, and actually even trying to, to use it maybe at the end of a, at the end of a practice, you know, doing right, some breakdown right. shooting and, and that type of thing. So I, I do agree with you that it is a valuable tool and, and, you know, even, um, having the big net up and, and having to shoot over that net and giving, getting that lift and that arch over the net and shooting over that obstruction, so to speak a little bit, that's, right. that's going to help your shooting as well. I think, you know, yeah, for sure. It does. We have, we have a couple kids when they first came, I, I was like, they're, they're not going to get it over that, you know, and it does, <laughs> it makes you lift the ball and, and it, it's, it really is a, a something that has changed a lot. And I really wish I had one when I was a kid, you know, and even if you can't, incorporated a lot during your practice even if you have your kids coming and working out on their own in the summer really you know look that baby up and when they come to the gym and just tell them to get a lot of shots in with it well you, you just could have had your uh, roommate turner gill after after uh after johnny rogers moved out you could have just had turner gill rebound for you you know yeah he always did that for me that was nice <laughs> <laughs> that was all awful, awful nice of coach gill to do that so. <laughs> that really was uh, um Another thing I wanted to talk about, and, and and when we were, you know, we coached together. You were the you were the head coach, and I was the assistant coach uh, for for two years, and right. 
And one of the things, and still to this day, Jamie, um, and, and I sincerely, sincerely mean this, you uh, were were brilliant about making in-game adjustments on the fly. And there'd be times where, you know, we hadn't even practiced that. And you'd just be like, ah, let's see if it works, you know. And, and you would just right. come up with, with something, you know, um, kind of where does that come from? What's your, what's your thinking um, obviously I haven't been in a huddle with you for 18 or 19 years, uh, but you know, just, just how do you see the game that way? You know, is it, is it just kind of a gut? Is it something that you, you're coming into a game going, uh, you know, uh, I think this is going to work, but here's, you know, I kind of got plan B and plan C in the back of my mind, or I'm just right. reading the game as it's going here. Okay. Let's take a time out. Here's the adjustment we're going to make here. That type of thing. Right. Well, I appreciate that. I think as I've gotten older, I probably do a lot less of trying stuff that we never tried to practice, you know, and, and try to do a better job of, of preparing us for what may happen and have two or three different plans. And, and I think I'm, I'm with my gut, I'm pretty good at realizing, wow, you know, in a pretty early stage that this just isn't working what we're trying, you know, and, and I trust me, I've had several ideas early in the game. We were like, oh, that was a terrible idea. I don't even know why we were trying this and, and then we'll switch off. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, recognizing the flow of the game and, and if something's not going the way you wanted it to, to, to not be stubborn and, and get out of it. I, you know, I've seen sometimes I'll watch a game on TV and it, it'll frustrate me because, you know, a team will be doing something a certain way and it's clearly not working at all. And they don't adjust and they keep doing it and they end up getting killed. You know, and it's like at some point you have to kind of let your ego go and realize that even though it was your idea, maybe it wasn't a great one. And just to adjust to it and have your team prepared for if this doesn't work, we've worked on this, let's try this, you know. And and what I did before when I was with you, it was kind of this didn't work, let's try this. We'd never tried it before, and then it's kind of hit or miss. So, we, we, you know, we have a long season, and when you're not sure what you want to work on in that practice, maybe it's try something else so they're prepared to, in case plan A doesn't work. You know, you kind of have to have a plan B and plan C, and, and they have to have confidence in knowing they can do it. And, you know, every we, we adjust a lot more now than probably I did back in those days to what we think the other team does well and try to take that away. Mm-hmm. And, and if we're not taking it away very well, then sometimes you have to switch up the plan to, to do that. Well, and, you know, when you and I were together, it was mailing VHS tapes that right. were, for, were from games from two weeks before where, you know, if, if you're playing Hastings on Saturday, you're you're watching their Wednesday night game by right. 10 o'clock Wednesday night, getting ready for Thursdays and Fridays practice and, and having it that recent as well. So, you know, and, and that's for everybody. That's not just Morris, obviously. That's right. everybody that, that has right. that opportunity. You know, you know, you and I, if, if we had two films on a team, we were like, oh, my God, what do we do? Right. <laughs> you know, right. yep. information yep. overload, you know, right. um, you know. Yeah, but oh, go ahead. technology has changed so much, you know, that you have so much more information. And, and I don't know in high school how much, you know, they exchange with each other, but uh, you know, if you have that, if you're not using the technology you have now, then you're really missing out because, you know, I can, what you said, you know, you go through a VHS tape and it take you two hours to watch a game. And now I can, let's say we play Hastings, I can get on a computer and get through 300 of their possessions through five games in an hour and a half, you know, you just hit their possessions and, and 
find their tendencies and you can hit on a particular player and see what she does well. You know, I could, like Sandra Farm of Racings, I could go over her last 100 possessions she had the ball and how she scored, you know, mm-hmm. and, and having that information really has changed basketball a lot, you know, kind of the analytic side of it and, and the preparation and, and that, you know, you, I don't know if you know, you know, you being in high school, do they, are they able to get a ton of film on each other still? Do they trade well? Or is yeah. Still- yeah. I mean, there, there's very little, um, you know, non-willingness to, to trade. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, 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 I'm sure there's some, some pettiness and, and well, I'm not giving right. my film to, to West high because seven years ago, blah, 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 you know, that type of thing. But, right. uh, but I think, uh, most people realize that if, if you're, if you, if you want to get something, you got to give something up as well. And you just, right. you just, you just can't, uh, cut yourself off, you know, and that type right. of thing. And, you know, um, so I think most people are pretty cooperative. And, and by the time I was at, at you know, my last year or two, I, I would just say, uh, let's say it was uh, Jerome Skirdla at Gretna. And not that Jerome and I right. needed to scout each other. We played each other a thousand times, so, you know. Right. Um, but, you know, hey, why don't you just send me this and this and this game, and I'm going to send you this and this and this game of ours. What You know, is that cool? And, and you just you just kind of got to that point. Instead of, right. you know, let me let me email Tverdi to have him send me my Gretna, to send their Gretna game. Uh, but you know that Jerome's calling Tverdi, telling me, well, send me your Scut game. Yeah, well, this us Let's just go cut through the BS and let's just here right. take it, right. you know, type of a right. thing. It, yours is a little bit more uh, communal, where yeah. yours is just on a, a site and you just everybody's required to put their film on a site or something like right. that, isn't it? Right. Yes. So I have access to in our conference at least every game they've played, which is you know a, a, a huge thing to have, and it's a lot less of a pain in the butt. You don't have to go look up, you know, and try and find film, but. I would say with high school coaches, you know, if you have the, if you don't have a, I mean, it kind of comes if you can afford it in your budget and that sort of thing. But if you can afford the technology for, you know, to get that film and you send it to a company who breaks it down and sends it back to you and gives you some analytics on it and breaks it down to the offense and defensive possessions, you know, I think Huddle does that now. And, and we have Synergy, which does it. it. We got it about four or five years ago and it just changes your world. You can't believe how much different it is to be able to watch film that way and just how it breaks it down, how much more information you can get. And it really, you know, if you don't have that and you can afford it, I would definitely encourage you to look into that because it really changes things. But you have to be careful with the information. You don't want information overload, yeah. you know, for your players and for yourself because sometimes right. then you get into overthinking it as well. So it's a fine, yeah. it's a fine line to walk as well. Yeah, you don't want, you know, you don't want to go too crazy on it. But it's it's really, you know, something that you can just it's such a time saver. You know, if you want to see how a team handles a pick and roll, you can just hit that on the film pick and roll and we'll show you the eight possessions of it you know and it's just such a time saver and and you're able to even if you want to show it to your team it's a lot easier to to break down you say okay this is our offense and you can click on it it'll show their offensive possessions you don't have to you know go through the entire film so it it really does make a difference and um, for a lot of people it's just something they can't afford but if you can you'll you will love it i guarantee you that awesome give us two Good offensive set plays. Okay. Um, 
I'm trying to think of how I'm going to be able to describe them. Um, if we have a play that, ironically, we call it Taco Bell, okay? <laughs> it's, and we use it to, to get to the basket. It's kind of dribble-drive concepts with three-point shooting. So um, we start with our two posts down on the block, and we have our point guard and our two wings, and the point guard will start dribbling downhill, trying to get to the basket just on dribble drive if they can, but generally they'll be able to stop that. And let's say they're going to the right wing, and if she can't get it, she flips it back to that guard and fills her spot. Are you following yep, me right now? I'm, I'm so still now following. That, now that guard who received it now is dribbling downhill to the middle of the floor, once again trying to get to the basket. The Actually, the guard, the first guard that handed it off to the wing will clear out to the opposite side. So if she went to the right wing, she'd go to the left wing. So she cleared out. Oh, okay. So she went to, like, if she goes to the right, she's going to, like, the left corner then? Yep, she'll hand it off and then leave through, yep, to the left. Oh, okay. And so now the other kid's coming down the middle of the floor on the right side, you know, that got the handoff. Yeah. She's attacking the middle of the floor. She doesn't get it. She will flip the ball to the, the guard that was on the left side. So now we've had two handoffs attacking the middle. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Now, once once that the third kid has attacked the middle, if she can't get it, she um, let me see how I'm doing this, explaining it on the the third one. Nope, I lied. I'm trying to describe this. The first one. Are you sure you're not running Pizza Hut? hell taco bell they'll make this one easier we, we have a, a play cycle and we run so you're in a one four set okay and with the point guard up high one four the, low or high one four high okay so the we have the two posts on the elbows the guard on the left side will screen in for the person on the left elbow who will come out to the wing and fill where that guard was uh-huh and the guard set the screen in on the elbow will now go to the same side in the corner. So now you have okay. a, and then we will throw the ball to the post that came out to the left wing mm-hmm. and the right wing will come off a curl cut off the post on the right wing. Okay. So she curls and goes down to the block. Okay. So now the guard at the point, we'll go set a screen for the post that was at the right elbow who set the curl screen. Yeah. And that post will come up to the point. Okay. Then the point guard who set the screen for that elbow will go out to the right wing. Okay. They reverse the ball to that right wing. Okay. Now, the person that was in the left corner originally that screened and went to the corner will come mm-hmm. off that ball, that post that curled for a kind of a flex screen. Yep. And then you should have two people left over on that side to go down screen for the person that set the screen on the block. Like, an, ele- like an elevator. Yep. Yeah. We use that one a lot because we get 
with a curl screen, a chance for a layup. We get the flex screen, chance for a layup, and then we, you know, everybody runs the America's play basically, and we can get that elevator screen at the end after we try to search for everything else. Hey, uh, Saley. Yeah. Cyclone was a hell of a lot easier to follow than Taco Bell. Yeah, Taco Bell was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. I, I could draw it to you someday, and you can put it on your site. Okay. Um, all right. That sounds good. <laughs> Those are two good ones. And, and then if you can run Taco Bell after my explanation, you are the greatest coach ever because uh, it was terrible. Yeah, it was. But th- but that's okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's all right. Cut that out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, social media. Uh, anything for the program? It's Morningside WBB on the Twitter machine, isn't it? Yep, it is. Okay. And you can just hit, you know, if you get on there, just Twitter and type Morningside Basketball, it'll come up and and, you know, we use our Twitter quite a bit. I think we have a Facebook page. I don't think it's used very much. But, it's you know, it's more Twitter. And then our website's www.morningside.edu. And it has a lot of the all the connections you need to go to to get to our Twitter site and, and to our athletic site. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, that is, that is really good, my friend. You know, uh, congratulations on all of your success. Uh, it's, it's well-deserved. You, you've worked your ass off. Um, and, uh, you know, I know you're just going to keep it going here, you know, and, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on here this, this morning into this early afternoon here. So, uh, I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, make sure you got your face paint on for, for WrestleMania part two tonight. Uh, Make sure Nolan says his prayers and eats his uh, eats his vitamins so he can have the twenty four inch pythons and right yeah is it is, yeah, it, is that is that a logical career path for your son are you thinking oh, or I think that's what he's thinking yeah <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised he thinks he's gonna be a I think he thinks he's gonna be a wrestling announcer because he gets his little wrestling toys and announces matches all the time so I don't know if it's a career solid career choice but I think it's the one he's after <laughs> well hey <laughs> you, you, you got to have goals. You gotta have goals. So, well, 
Thanks so much, Jamie. I got to go through a couple of things here, but hold on just a second, and uh, um, you know we'll, we'll wrap things up off uh, off air here. So, but uh, thanks to uh, Jamie Sale from Morningside College for coming on today. Um, we of course want to thank Cosac Chiropractic for helping sponsor the pod. Uh, if you are in need of chiropractic services, like I was at about a quarter to six this morning, uh, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at four zero two nine six four zero three zero zero. Don't call them. At a quarter to six, they're not open in the morning, but you can call them. Follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Download, rate, and review the pod on iCloud or iTunes or SoundCloud. And, of course, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. This has been Jamie Sale, the head women's basketball coach at Morningside College. Coaches, stay safe. And, as always, be sure to hone your craft. And, oh, by the way, Saley, one other thing. Yes. At your next uh, class reunion, uh, be sure to tell your uh, last roommate, Eric Crouch, hello for me. All right? I will. They'll <laughs> all be happy to hear from me. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Coaches, as always, be sure to hone your craft one day at a time.